talk today about longings, longings that actually can be fulfilled and satisfied. You know, everybody has longings. God has placed longings within us. In fact, there is a void that God has placed in our being and creating us. Uh, we are made in His image. He has breathed life into us. But there is a void, and that creates longings. And that longing gives you a desire to seek Him. That along with His Holy Spirit, who is a convictor of sin, of righteousness and judgment, will develop in you by the movement of God, by the inclinations of God, a longing and a hunger for something. And that something can be fit and satisfied only in Christ Jesus. Now, there are a lot of counterfeits out there. The world offers many to us. And they are counterfeits that might temporarily satisfy us, but they actually leave us lingering and wanting more. If you're one who has a fleshly desire that you sense a need or a longing to be satisfied with pornography you might have an immediate sense of some gratification. You might have a fleshly sense that the desire is satisfied. But I can tell you with the satisfaction that comes from the world is a greater chasm of emptiness that proves you have a greater need than that which the world offers to you. It doesn't matter to me how large our 403B might be or your 401K or your IRA or whatever investment means you have the larger it gets if your hope is set on that the more a vacancy you have in your soul and you will come to a conclusion that it does not meet your needs it does not satisfy and there is a greater longing that God will provoke in you to be satisfied by the Lord Jesus Christ I want to talk about longings today and how they might be satisfied a couple of weeks ago we were reading Psalm 61 and we were talking about the background of Psalm 61 which I think is similar to Psalm 63. If you were here you remember that Absalom, King David's son, led a coup against his father in the throne. Previously he had killed or had murdered his stepbrother Amnon and you remember he had raped their sister and he, Absalom, had nursed the sister in his own home but while he was caring for her and providing for her well-being he had this bitterness and anger and hatred that manifests itself in murder he invites Amnon to his home one night and he's throwing a party invites him to the party but he has his servants actually execute him uh, there at the party now, with Amnon murdered, Absalom believes that he is in line to, to be the successor to the throne. Uh, the one who is in line is no longer alive, so it would be him, he felt like. Uh, he sensed reservation from his father. It wasn't a reservation from his father. It was the will of God that Absalom not take the throne, but that Solomon would take the throne. So, sensing that, Absalom has this... Uh, this idea of a revolt that he begins to play out. He begins to work in ways to garner the favor of the people of Israel. 
David had been leading the country now for 37 years, and he will lead another three years following this coup attempt. Uh, but they have had him as their leader, David, for some time. But Absalom went with 200 of his faithful followers to the very place where his father had been named king in Hebron, and he blasts the trumpet sound, and he announces himself to be king to the cheers of the people who were willing to give up all that David for 37 years had building into the glory of the kingdom. Of course, David's heart was rent during that time, not just because of his son's activities of revolt against him and rebellion against him, but the alliance of some of his closest advisors siding with Absalom, that Absalom would have the throne. The king was just heartbroken over that, rejected in that. And instead of fighting it, he actually retreated. He left the city of David out of his palace, down the Kidron Valley, up through the Mount of Olives, and over the top to the wilderness, the Judean wilderness. This is right over the, the ridge there, towards the Dead Sea, and he takes refuge there in that Judean wilderness. And while he's there, he expresses his heart, the longings of his heart, and the satisfaction of his heart that is found in God. Psalm 63 is that exact psalm. Now, I think this is a story, the tale of two men, a father and a son, who find themselves with real dissatisfaction at various times in their life. They are dissatisfied because they want what they do not possess, nor do they have the authority to possess it. For instance, Absalom is longing for revenge when the Lord says that he would bring revenge. He's longing for revenge and he's longing for the throne. He does not have the authority to possess the throne, but he longs for it. And years before David had a longing, he longed for a beautiful woman that he had seen on a rooftop bathing. Her name is Bathsheba. He longed for that which he did not have, and he takes that which was not belonging to him, and he brings her into his palace. Some would say that's fornication. Others would say that's rape because he's in a position of authority and brings her into his palace and has sex with her. Both of them are failures in that, have grave sin and consequences that follow. Both the tale of the father and the son have similar pathways, except the king confesses his sin, and he repents of his sin, and he surrenders his heart to the Lord, so much so that God would later say that David has a heart like his after him. So he went on to experience the beauty of God and the fullness of God. But his son Absalom was unrepentant. He had a longing that was never quite satisfied. And he dies separated from God in his sin. It's the tale of two men, a father and a son. One who's longing for all the earthly possessions and honor, but yet remain fully satisfied and content, not with the stuff, but with his relationship with God. And the other who continued to crave and clamor for possessions, even if it meant he would have to deceive and rob to get it, and he would do so and lose his fellowship with the holy God. The tale of two men on two very different pathways in their life. 
I think Absalom warns us in his life that we must reject the ways of the world which would have all kinds of counterfeits to offer to us that we might satisfy the longings of our flesh and find that we are distant or uh, completely separated from a holy God in doing so or we can see the testimony of King David who actually has genuine satisfaction that is found not in possessions and not in in power or prestige but is found in a relationship with the one true God of the Bible Psalm 63 is going to be that expression in song of how this kind of lays out for David in his heart. So let's read it together. I want to read the first eight verses, or at least the first part of verse eight. Beginning in verse one. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy my soul clings to you can we recognize right now that there is a longing in us that God wants to satisfy let's pray about that Lord our heart is easily deceived and unless you initiate a spiritual thought worthy of us holding on to today we won't have it so I'm praying for instruction through your Holy Spirit and by your grace that you will give us ears to hear his voice, eyes to see his workings, and that we might humble ourselves and receive what is for us in the fullness that you'll offer. And in doing so, Lord, our lips will never cease to proclaim your praises. Oh, for the glory. Christ Jesus, I pray, and for the good of the people. Amen. I have two points. I had four, but uh, one of the arts of learning how to preach is to figure out what's going to cut out. So for your good, I have cut two of the points. Uh, and maybe we'll pick them up another time, but let's just talk about the first two. Uh, first of all, we need to cultivate a longing for God. After being in relationship with God for five decades and maturing in his leadership for now 37 years, he will complete his 40th year soon and die. David has learned to be a mature man. He's learning spiritual maturity. As you go through life, you have a tendency to do that if you'll draw near to God. In fact, at the conclusion of the first service, I had several people in their 70s and 80s come to me and say I have learned the very things that you're talking about my only regret is that I waited so long to learn them what a privilege the spirit of the living God has his word for us whether you're in your teens 20s 30s or beyond you can receive God's truth today and you can begin to apply that truth and you can see a great filling of God 
and the goodness of God in your life if you'll read these words and receive them. Now, David had experienced failures and trials in his life. If you think about the history of David, he experienced those failures and trials as a friend, as a husband, as a father, as a king, as a man. He experienced that, and those difficulties of trials were sort of like earthquakes. And when the earthquake hits, it, it rattles and it shakes and it brings down everything that mankind can build. In fact, if you tour the... the area of Israel right now in and around the proximity to Jerusalem you'll know that there have been many many earthquakes and whatever has been built is brought down into rubble and there will be another culture or another civilization that will come and build on top of that in fact there are times there might be 20 or more civilizations that have been on top and built on top and built on top so it just gets higher and higher those earthquakes of trials and troubles in David's life have brought about a quaking in his life and it broke down the defensive walls of his heart over time and it brought down the glorified towers of pride that he had built over time so now that he is here in the latter days of his life he has the ruins around him of self-ambition and self-reliance and self-gratification and he finds himself in the wilderness of Judea with just him and God it's all he has in this place. Absalom has taken all that he has built up in a kingdom, all that his wealth could have provided for him. All that he had is now gone, except he finds himself fully satisfied because though he has nothing, he has the presence of God. And in that, he is fully satisfied. There stood a man filled with faith in the word and the promises of God, and who treasured more than anything else the presence of God. You know, trials and troubles seem to provide us the great opportunities to thrive spiritually. I certainly don't want to wish any hard times or trials or troubles in anybody's life in this room, but I do long that we would grow in our maturity and faith, even at the cost of hardship. I want you to experience that maturing faith so that you might have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit rooted and grounded in love as the Bible says filled with the fullness of God so that you might be richly satisfied it's the prayer of, of Paul for the church we all have those, satis, uh, those satisfying longings for things for riches it's the common language of the church today albeit altogether wrong and unbiblical where the church promotes God and his blessings as possessions and material gain and assets. That prosperity mantra of the common 21st century church in the West is absolutely foreign to Scripture. In fact, God says the exact opposite. He says when you have your riches, that's when you're most vulnerable. And you ought to be very guarded in those moments. In fact, if you go back with me to Deuteronomy chapter uh, 8 beginning in verse 11 you'll see this this is out of the new living translation beware that your plenty in your plenty you do not forget the lord your god and disobey his commands regulations and decrees that i am giving you today so the warning is not that they will disobey but be aware in your plenty that you might move towards that we have a tendency to do that when we are fat and happy satisfied with possession that we forget our God. We forget the dependence that we have on Him, the emptiness that we have in us that can only be filled by Him. 
Verse 12, for when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God. What a challenge for the people. God was saying, I'm about to take you into a land of plenty. And when you're there and you have plenty, beware, for you will be subject to walk away from me. What a challenge for us. What a disconnect from the modern church language of more wealth, more health, and more prosperity. What a radical disconnect. Throughout his life, David had learned that his palace and his gold and his silver and all the possessions and all the power made very poor gods. Oh, I call them gods because all those things require you to serve them. David had reckoned in his life that as all those things were stripped away, as he stood in the barren desert in the wilderness, that he could find the greatest satisfaction not in his stuff. The greatest satisfaction would be in his God, in the presence of his God. We can experience that satisfaction too, but the choice will be ours. So David makes a choice, and I would encourage you and me to make the same choice. He makes it in the first verse of, of Psalm 63. It's really a decorative statement about his choice. He says this, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh, my body faints for you. What a declaration that you and I should embrace. Now notice what he didn't declare. In the midst of the hardship, the throne taken away, his possessions gone, his palace now moved into by someone else. Notice what he didn't say. God, oh God, what have you done to me? He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh God, my God, what have I done to you? He didn't say, God, why me? Why do I have to endure this hardship? But instead, he comes down in a mature sense, in the midst of rejection, in the midst of loss. He declares, oh God, you are my God. Oh God, I earnestly seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my body faints for you. What a statement in the midst of losing it all. David purposefully sought the Lord and he determined to find the complete satisfaction not in gaining the throne again, not in gaining his stuff again, not in even gaining his his uh, advisors again but his complete satisfaction would be found in God in the presence of God and that my friends is where you and I need to be in this one sentence David makes statements that we all should make God you are my God and if I seek anything I seek you or my soul is thirsty if it's thirsty for anything God it's going to be thirsty for you you are only the source of my refreshment in life what a great declaration above all the longings that I have in my body God I long to be with you in your presence so David has put his whole self in knowing God and knowing the presence of God and having the fullness of God that's his heart his soul his mind his strength all of who he is is given to God and the passion for God to be in the presence of God. And when you and I will come to such levels of hunger and thirst for God, he will surely refresh us. Surely he will. 
Now the risk is, and it's great, that you and I will spoil the hunger and you and I will quench the thirst for something other than God and his presence. And that's where the world comes in. The world constantly is offering you and me something else beside the presence of God, the fullness and the goodness of God. The world will offer to you the desires of the flesh, the desires of life, and the pride of life. That's what the Bible says. And if you receive that which the world offers, you will have an empty satisfaction, but a temporal satisfaction it will be. And you'll stop clamoring for the presence of God. You'll stop pressing towards the fullness of God. And you'll stop longing to be in the presence of God. So in order to be fully satisfied by the holy God, you and I have to be wholly dissatisfied with this world. You can't play it both. I can tell you from personal experience, you can't play both. A holy dissatisfaction with the world will bring a full satisfaction in us by the holy God. I think if there's anything that I've longed for in preparing for this message, and even in the night praying as the Lord woke me, it would be that you and I would come to that determination. That we would be rejectors of anything the world offers as satisfaction. That we would recognize that our hearts, as the Bible says, easily deceived, will easily take in something with the hope that it will bring satisfaction. And at the same time we have that satisfaction in our flesh, it creates a greater emptiness in us and it causes us not to seek after the genuine satisfaction of God. My prayer is that God would open our eyes to that and that we would have a longing for the fullness of God in us. Although it's possible, it's hard to come to this level of living pursuit of God and sit in the palaces of the world David was standing in the wilderness it's a barren place I can tell you very little grows in the wilderness it was there that David was making this statement while you and I sit in our palaces it's incredibly difficult to think we have a need for the fullness of God so may the Lord give us insight to that through the scripture today. Some of you are not in the palaces of life. You're in the hardest places of your life. You come to a place in life where you've recognized that stuff does not matter, where career and positions are not the priority in your life anymore, where riches can't buy your way out of a hardship in life. In the land, a desolate land of isolation where cancer and disease have their root where the epicenter of brokenness is located and where refreshment and restoration are abated. It's in those places and times of pain and sorrow that God will help you to meet the satisfying of your deepest longings. It's there that you can come to learn to trust in him as your solace. It's there that you can have the hope and the promises of God. Trust in the restorative work of the Holy Spirit and be reconciled and restored by the gentle and gracious touch of Jesus himself. It's in those hard places and those hard times or that reckoning that nothing is going to satisfy you like the presence of God that you press towards him. For others, life doesn't really seem to be bothered too much. 
In fact, you're not experiencing trials and troubles. It's as if God is not too demanding of your life. Maybe you're living in the routines of life seasons. Maybe you're living day by day in the current culture flow. Maybe it's a few hours of TV every day, a few repetitive cycles of the newscasts going on and on. Or maybe it's sitting flipping through social media time after time, wondering why do I do this? It's the same old stuff over and over again. Or perhaps you're chasing kids around the activities of their life, constantly in search for the next way to be entertained on the weekends. Rarely do you have any kind of planned or purposeful discussion of biblical truth among your family, and rarely do you ever pray together. And corporate worship on Sunday is mostly plan B, subject to your freelance search for weekend fund. Maybe you're seeking to build up your wealth and you're working to do so. Or maybe you're working to pay off the purchase that you've already made. Or maybe you're, you're seeking to pay off some loans because you were buying what you could not and should not possess. Or maybe you're just longing for the next football season to start. Or maybe you're looking for the favorite show to come back on, the season to start up again. Or maybe the next election to come or the next vacation that's being scheduled and planned. It's in those moments, my friends, that you and I find that we are our gods. We earnestly seek self-gratification. Our soul is thirsty for self-fulfillment, and our bodies are longing for self-service to satisfy its desires. Or maybe you've come to a different conclusion. Maybe you're concluding life differently, and you've been challenged by God to put to death the deeds of the body in order to live by the Spirit of God. So you must not allow the things of the world to temporarily create cravings to spoil your hunger and longing for God, His presence and His Word. I can tell you the enemy is constantly looking for the weakness. The moment where he can tempt you with your fleshly desires and pull you off the path, the presence of God. David knew the power and the glory of God because he had purposefully drawn near to God's presence in the sanctuary. Drawing near to God and knowing the power of God develops a longer, a deeper longing for God. The more you're in his presence, the more you want to be in his presence. The more you have genuine worship for him, the more full you are of him and the more hungry you find yourself of him. A longing for God doesn't just mysteriously appear, though. It's developed. It begins with a desire and a proclamation. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body, my flesh faints for you. And as we draw near to him, he invites us and provides us the means to know him more fully and to be satisfied by him more completely. But you're going to have to make a move towards that. Could I encourage you, your first move might be to go to bed 30 minutes earlier tonight. Go to bed 30 minutes earlier tonight because you have it in your intention to draw near to God 30 minutes sooner tomorrow. And open the word that has been written to you. It's God's message to you. Open the word and read it. Read it for the purpose of digesting it. Be satisfied in it. And as you read it, pray it. And as you pray it, sing it. And as you sing it, raise your hands to him in worship. 
and express that worship throughout the day by willingly being obedient to what he shares with you and I can tell you throughout the day the conversation will continue and the fullness of God will be rich to you and you will enjoy his presence and the next day you'll do it again and again and again but oh how the enemy hates that if you purpose to draw near to God I'm certain it will come at the cost of pushing other stuff that wants to draw near as well you're going to have to push other stuff away. And as you do so, you draw near to him. And as you draw near to him, he makes a promise. He will draw near to you. I know that to be the case because you don't make the first move and neither do I make the first move. God is initiating the first move in us. If we're moving in any way that's spiritual and it's truth, it's going to be that God is moved in us first by his grace. And he's doing so because he longs to fill us with his goodness, to let us know his presence as he is with us so recognize the thirst for your soul and let that thirst be greater than the thirst for stuff let it not be for entertainment not not be for the experiences of the world let your thirst be for god and then let your thirst for god which is fully satisfied by him be developed in your children help them to have a thirst for god more than a thirst for stuff and if you have grandchildren, pour that into them. Help them to discover the thirst of body and soul that can only be satisfied by God himself. Help them to discover that thirst and how to come to the well of the Spirit of God that they might be satisfied fully. Draw them to the presence of God that they might experience him richly. Their real hunger is to know God and to be known by him but man does the world ever offer them everything but that their real thirst is that God which he has placed in them that thirst that God would quench that and satisfy that thirst when we purpose to develop a deeper longing for God then we will meditate on him throughout the day and into the evening and into the night We'll develop a prayer life that is ongoing and continuous in conversation and we'll begin to know God and the power and the glory of God as we walk humbly and obediently with him. As you come to know him more fully, you'll know his love more richly and you will be satisfied. But you can't live in the palace with all your gold and silver and easily get to the fullness of God. Secondly, knowing God's love, purpose to praise and worship and meditate on Him. Let's read back through verse 3 and following. Because your steadfast love is better than life. That's a, that's a statement. That's a foundation, okay? He's going to have that truth in his life and everything else that comes from the passage is going to be rooted in that truth. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Now, notice all the underlined sections there. You might be thinking, well, Randy, that's just all the stuff that I need to be doing. Oh, don't sell it short. 
This is not a to-do list. This is not a task list in order for you to have the goodness of God. David is just purposeful in each one of those, and you and I will benefit by enacting each of those in our life. But really, all of those underlying sections come from the reality of God's love. When you come to know God's love, this is what flows. This is what follows. When you are in the presence of God and you know the unending covenant love that God gives to you and bestows upon you, here's what happens. He says, you begin to praise God with your lips. You bless Him with those lips. You lift up hands to Him. Your mouth praises Him joyfully. You remember Him in the bed. You meditate on, on Him through the watches of the night. You sing for joy. Your soul clings to Him. So this trigger is the steadfast love of God. David says, because God's steadfast love is better than life, here is the way I respond in other words, David recognized the greatness of God's steadfast love is greater than every experience that he's ever had or ever will have. And because of that, he elevates God's love above all things. And then he expresses back to God in all these ways. Nothing was greater to David than knowing God's steadfast love. There was no longing in his life that was greater than his longing for God and the presence of God and in that he has an attitude of one who is blessed and he just can't help but communicate it can't help but think about it can't help but raise his hands to the God who gives it the fullness of God by the way steadfast love is that amazing word in the original language hesed and it means a loyal love that God has covenanted to give us he has made a covenant with us to give us Love, And he is loyal in that. He will chase us down in order to express that love. And David, in response to that, says, I will praise him. I will bless him. I will lift up my hands to him. I'll use my mouth and lips to praise him. I'll remember him and meditate on him in the bed. I'll sing joyfully to him, and my soul will cling to him. I love the place where I worship the Lord in here every Sunday with you it's right there on that front row because the Lord has my undivided attention but often I will look around and when I'm looking around I'm often singing because I want to catch eyes with somebody I know the choir thinks that man stares me down every Sunday and it's true I look them square in the eye and I sing those songs to them I'm singing to my Lord. I'm singing about my Lord, but I want to encourage those people who are singing to encourage me, and I want to bless the Lord in that. And so I look around and I sing to them. And I often will do the same around looking in this room to sing to you. I can't help but notice that some of you don't sing at all. I can't help but notice that some of you don't raise your hands at all. I can't help but notice that some of you don't have the joy. I can't help but notice that some of you don't even move your lips to worship God. And I'm going to challenge you on something. Either you are distant from God and are not fully satisfied in His presence, or you are not saved. Because David says, when you and I know the steadfast love of God, these things come about. 
You say, well, Randy, I'm just not comfortable raising my hands. It's not the tradition that I grew up in. Well, let's throw tradition out the door if it doesn't coincide with Scripture. Let's recognize that you do raise your hands when you're at the ball game and you see something great that you're excited about. You'll raise your hands and applaud the team and you'll raise your lips and give them the affirmation and you will cheer them and you will bless them and you will encourage them to do it again. You know why? Because you're serving the God of your flesh. But when you come into this house and when you get to your closet and you get to your knees or when you go to school or when you go to work or when you're in the yard cutting grass, may you long for the presence of God and while you do it, may you usher out great praise to Him. May you privately, if you can't do it publicly, raise your hands to the Lord who has gloriously saved you. Let your hands be empty as a sign. Lord, I take all that I have from you and I give you all that I have. I surrender and submit it to you and Lord I bless you more than anything I want you I want your presence I don't want more stuff I don't want more houses I don't want more cars I want your presence let the Lord let the Lord fill you I'm just going to tell you straight out if you don't do it in here you won't do it anywhere because in this place are people who are like minded in this place you'll find people who love God in this place you'll find encouragement out there you'll find the opposite and if you can't bless the Lord with your lips in here if you can't raise your hands to him in here then how in the world will you ever do it outside of here you're making me uncomfortable Randy we should be in my shoes about right now Somebody texted me before I got up to preach, said, oh, Randy, full house, praise the Lord. Oh, this is the way you get rid of full houses. <laughs> but why? Why is it so important that we get this? You'll miss it if you don't think, pause to think, David says, in return, my soul will be satisfied with fat and rich food. According to Leviticus chapter 3, verse 16, the fat belongs to God. It doesn't belong to man. One of the greatest smells in all the created world is a ribeye steak on my grill. You with me on that? Three days before, I have marinated it, and I have wrapped it tightly, and it's been waiting. I pull it out at least an hour beforehand, get it at room temperature, and I turn on the grill, and I put it on that grill. And it's like all of heaven is attentive to the fat that is now grilling on my grill. If you're a Hebrew, the fat belongs to God. It's the aroma for God. It's the offering of God. The fat is not meant to be eaten by you. Now catch this. David says, when I draw near to God in his presence, and I know his power and his glory, and I know his steadfast love for me, what results in that is his goodness. And I can't help but praise him, worship him, 
lift my hands to him I can't help but when I'm going to bed think about him and if I wake in the night to meditate on him I can't help but just have this constant drawing near to God and in return God gives to me what belongs to him see we're coming full circle now David and Absalom longed for what did not belong to them and they went about it in the wrong way one man is repentant one man is unrepentant one man has a beautiful relationship with God and that he knows the fullness of God's presence the other is completely rejected by God eternally separated from him the one who knows God in his humbleness draws near to him and God lavishes upon him great love and he gives him all of the expressions that I underline in that passage and in return God gives to him what belonged to him his fullness his goodness his presence so how are, here we are at the end I would say that you and I all have longings God created us with the longings the question is, how are we filling the longings? Are we filling the longings with the counterfeit of the world, creating more and more void and emptiness in our life, or are we rejecting that of the world and drawing near to God in His presence? You will have to forsake a number of things, but God will fully satisfy you. His presence, His goodness, His mercy, His word filling you will more than satisfy you. And you won't be able to stop your lips with joy expressing to Him. You won't be able to keep your hands down. You won't be able to not think about Him. And in return, He will give you what is His. If you're here today and you have that longing it could be that the longings for your eternal life with God. Maybe it is that you continue in your sin and you've been unrepentant, going after in life what you want and you are your God. And God is saying today, put all of that down. Lay all that aside. Surrender all things to me. Come under my lordship. Confess your sin, be repentant of that, and I'll give you new life. I'll give you holy life. I'll give you righteous life. Come to me. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? In a spirit of prayer in this room, I want to invite people to make a decision today based on God and his word. If you have been around long, you'll know that what I'm about to do is not conventional. I don't often do it. But in an act of faith, I want to ask you, if you're here today, you know without a doubt that if your life was ended today, that you would stand before a holy God and have no excuse for your sin. And he would call to account every sin. And you, like Absalom, would be forever banned from his presence because he is a holy God and you are unholy. If you're here today and God has brought you to this place to help you to understand that emptiness in your life can be filled by Jesus who will 